Hello and welcome. We're studying Christian mindfulness here on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. It's great to have your company. If you've been following the series called The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses, you'll know our studies are all about making us more Christ-like in our service to God as disciples of Christ. This week is no different as we look at and study how to achieve soberness of mind. So let's go to Brian now. Thanks, John. There's a particular word that's found four times in the New Testament, and it's a word that's directed towards what should be the expected behaviour of believers in the Lord Jesus. It's a word that if we were to translate it literally, it would be something like safe and sound in mind or sober in mind. So it'd be good if we could look at the context of each of these four occurrences so as to discover if we're mindful of displaying this quality or not. The first we'll look at is found in 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking, parties and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit, or sober-minded, for the purpose of prayer. There at the end in the word sober-minded. That last part should certainly get our attention. Here's the state of mind we need to get ourselves into if we wish our prayers to be effective. There's a right time for laughter, of course, and we're called to rejoice in an appropriate way at all times. But light-heartedness doesn't commend us to God in prayer. Prayer is such a significant privilege that we need to take it seriously. We're on the earth and we're speaking with the sovereign majesty on high. Prayer is for people who are thinking soberly. Now, a little bit of context. We appreciate this was first written by the Apostle Peter to believers with their backs to the wall under the Roman Emperor Nero and his insanely cruel torture of Christians. Appropriately and very poignantly, Peter brings before his original readers the example of Jesus, the suffering servant. You know, some folks today think that suffering is a kind of indicator that something is lacking in a Christian's life. Often a lack of faith is blamed for it if it should happen to intrude into the life of a Christian believer. But nothing could be further from the biblical truth. The message through Peter here is that certain kinds of suffering are inevitable in this world and our appropriate response is to allow ourselves to be shaped by it. The God who allows suffering to come into our lives does so because he desires it to have the effect of causing us to stop sinning as much and to live more in the centre of God's will for us. 
Suffering, as Peter remarkably presents it here, is seen as a positive opportunity for acquiring the mind of Christ. In other words, arming ourselves with the same attitude as Christ showed when he lived on earth, overcoming in all the things which he suffered. In turn, this results in a God-honouring lifestyle, perhaps quite radically different from the lifestyle we were pursuing before our conversion. In stark relief to hedonism running wild, a Christian's right mind is seen to be a serious determination to do God's will by going his way. A determination to please the Lord in life is the sort of determination that's often sharpened by the experience of suffering. And it may be part of the answer as to why God permits such things to enter our lives in the first place. The bigger picture, as it were, despite these experiences, unpleasant in themselves, being things that we'd sooner avoid. The next verse I want to draw your attention to is another which contains the same word and it's found in Titus, in chapter 2, verse 6, which simply says, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Or some versions that you read that in might say, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Actually, this same word group appears no less than five times in Paul's letter to his colleague, Titus. Prior to conversion, Paul says in the surrounding verses that we were found serving our own lusts and pleasures. In fact, some in the churches of God in Crete, reflecting their own culture, were still letting some of these traits of their old lifestyle show through. These were things like insubjection, unruly behaviour, speaking evil of folks, not being peaceable, gentle, humble, even deceiving, as well as corrupting and being corrupted by greed. Although those Paul was describing here were believers, they most certainly weren't in their right mind. What's meant by a right or sober mind is what's defined throughout the letter to Titus. It's very different to the prevailing general characteristics that had been described. A right mind for a Christian is an awareness, a mindfulness of the need to always be subject, submissive, moderate, controlled, loyal and true, dealing honestly. In other words, overall having a submissive and self-controlled attitude. We now come to the time Paul used the word in writing to the believers at Corinth. In his second letter to them, Chapter 5 and verse 12, he said, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In this verse, Paul acknowledges that some might take him for a madman, with a holy madness or religious mania expressed in his commitment. But it's equally clear that he regarded himself as sober-minded, for though they were so indebted to him, he still wasn't inclined to boast about this. Apart from this self-effacing attitude, what other characteristics of his sober mind shine through this section, which stretches back to the latter part of chapter 4? 
Well, surely it's the balancing perspective of present afflictions weighed over against eternal glory. It was Paul's ambition, as it should also be ours, to please the Lord in the light of his soon-to-happen return, a time when Christian believers will each get a new body to replace the present one with all its daily decay of faculties. The message of Paul here, we might say, adds up to a mindfulness of spiritual perspectives and ambitions. So finally we come to Romans chapter 12 and we'll read from verse 3. For through the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Here we find a humble mind, with soberness revealed in thinking of ourselves no more highly than is proper. In other words, having a straight thinking and honest appraisal of ourselves. When we put it all together, from each of the four places where we find this word discussed in the New Testament, here's the picture that we should be fully aware of. We are to live in a dignified way in a pain-filled world, ready to engage meaningfully in prayer. We are to be in control of ourselves at all times as the Spirit of God enables us, having long-term perspectives and ambitions that reach way beyond the here and now. And we are to be very honest and realistic in the estimate we hold about ourselves in relation to others whom we are to readily concede as having valuable contributions to make. Now, that is true Christian mindfulness. That's the kind of mindfulness that our Lord endorses in his word.
Thank you for your interesting study, Brian. And now, don't forget, there's a transcript book for all the talks in this series, and it's available free by asking for the title The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses. You can order the book by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, sadly, that's all we have for today. So till next week, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you.